friends, and welcome to Pod Return to the Waking Sands. We are a Final Fantasy XIV companion podcast where we explore the lore and story of Heidelin and beyond. My name is Jen, and I am joined by my co-host and researcher and producer. I'm Levi. <laughs> Hi, Levi. Thanks for the extra title, Jen. I was just thinking about it today. I'm like, labeling you as co-host and researcher is not selling it. Thank you, head mixer, comma, drinks. Cocktails I do mix, but you don't even drink them because you're like, I don't like things that are fruity. I don't like things that are sour. I'm like, that's literally everything I make. You've made me some good shit that is neither of those, but I have to request it special. Well, yeah, because then I have to look up a recipe. I'm like, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. I need falernum. I'm going to need... I'll be like, Jen, make me something for daddy. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> Diet Coke, here we go. All right. Okay. Um, today we are continuing and concluding the main story quest of A Realm Reborn 2.0, all the way through the ultimate weapon. Yep. Uh, strap in, because it's going to be a lot. Yeah. So what happened last time, Jen? Uh, last time was the penultimate phase of Operation Archon where we got into Castrum Meridianum and found our way um, eventually to Livia Sestunius, uh, leaving, uh, we also decommissioned the, the field that was protecting the Praetorium. So now we can embark on fourth phase, getting into that Praetorium. Thank you, Jin. So we have fallen back from the Castrum because the Praetorium can only be accessed by air. I'm assuming there's some ground access, but it's probably heavily fortified. And Meh. yeah, so we the best way in is the Enterprise. After we leave the Castrum, Raoban, who is being extremely risk inviting, whatever the opposite <laughs> the of risk opposite averse, of averse is, right. yeah. um, he's standing right outside the Castrum still, still all alone, no bodyguard. Find somewhere else to stand. God damn it. And he tells us that the flames will mop up after us inside the castrum while we make our assault on the weapon itself. It's the most dangerous mission and nobody but us can do it, but no pressure. Uh, basically, like this is the mission for the best of us. And that's you. Sorry, not sorry. Now Remember, get your ass though, in there. <laughs> victory belongs to the bold, not the reckless. I mean, these are wise, wise words. Yes, it's all up to you, but don't kill yourself doing something stupid, because then you're dead. Yeah. So, you can do more DPS live than you can when you're dead. <laughs> yeah, it's true. So, we head over to the Ceruleum Processing Plant, and we get on board the Enterprise. It is docked on one of the projecting platforms over the Ceruleum fields. We embark, it takes flight, and we enter the Praetorium. This is it. And Sid's going to be with us pretty much the entire way. Yep. We get a special cutscene of us arriving. We are party members. And then Sid disembark. Then Biggs and Wedge fly it off into the distance, yep. leaving us alone in the Praetorium. It's all up to us. The 
The Praetorium is the highest tech structure that we have seen so far. Everything in here is made of that interlocking gray Garlean steel. Magitech Legos, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Magitech Legos. Thank you, Jen. And this place, though, is decked out with tons of neon-ass lights. Blues and reds everywhere, mostly blues. Definitely not neon, because that shit is aged. <laughs> I know. Thank you, Jen. <laughs> The color is cerulean. Oh, you want to get pedantic? But in layman's terms, Jen, we would call it a neon glue. Yeah. As the most accurate verbal shorthand, and for, which you for are ironically Z's. making me contradict by having this long-ass <laughs> explanation. For the Gen Zs, it's going to be LED. I, it's, I, th- I feel like it's rare that I get to be all pedantic on your ass instead of the other way Fine. around. Enjoy it. So yeah, inside the structure, you know, it, it looks it looks uh, garlian for sure. So there's just some some standard mobs running around, uh, some packs here and there, no big deal. And um, until we kind of get outside and we're we're walking around the outside of the building, yeah, that's when the aerial bombardments start. As we're fighting some scrubs inside the building, the wall bursts inwards, rupturing it. It's like a big gash in the metal exterior. And at first, I'm like, okay, so are the Eorzeans bombarding it while we're in here? Okay, I guess it's some cover and distraction, but also you're kind of, as we call it, danger close guys. I'm going to say no. But no, it's not. It's the Imperials bombing their own structure because in the upcoming cutscene, when Sid is talking to Gaius, he accuses Gaius of tearing apart his own fortress. Yep. Gaius is, is blowing his own shit up so we can get to him more easily, which honestly, like you, you can talk to us over the PA. Or, like, you could come to see us. You don't have to destroy your fucking fortress. It's a very odd choice, and yeah, I, I don't, don't love it. I just, I always took those those munitions as, oh, whoops, they're trying to get to us, but they blew a hole in the side of their building instead. I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, he's, guys, of course, is blowing up his building, but that's, I don't know, probably to stop us, right? Not to, like, lead us into his lair and get it, get us closer to his salvation well, get us closer to him like so that he can monologue that doesn't seem to guys i think that's actually it because he's like 30 percent anime and the first explosion oh is when we are inside there's nothing to shoot at besides the sides of the fortress unless they're like we know where they entered we gotta let's do whatever we fucking just can. blow that fucking part of the fortress off i don't know take them all out that could be it too it could be like fuck it shoot our own guys who the fuck cares Because at this point they have to be desperate right like we've the allied forces and the warrior of light together have gone really far in this operation and now we are at their we're at their front door sid does accuse gaius of blowing up his own fortress to give us a path but it could just be sid's interpretation you're right jen it could also be a interpretation where they are saying fuck it you know bomb our own men we got to kill these guys uh, yeah it, this is these are desperate desperate moves so um, we go through this rupture that is caused by Garlean bombardment and get to the outside of the Praetorium. We're on like this kind of sloped disc thing that goes around the exterior and we fight more guys there and we are being bombarded by more of either aerial or artillery fire as we're fighting the guys on the exterior portion. And then we go back inside another breach and we come to the command center. The command center. We have to take a Magitech teleporter to get there, which is a nice remnant of the old Praetorium. The command center is where we've been seeing these cutscenes with Gaius talking to his inner circle. Yeah. It's got that giant glowing display that shows the map of Eorzea, and there is a massive semicircle of control panels that dominate most of the room's wall. 
So we march in here and we run right into Gaius von Belzar himself. He looks mad. <laughs> the joke is that he's always mad. So here's a monologue that like a lot of, I think the, fir- the first two monologues we get in here are for Sid. Yes. Okay. So, which makes sense. All right. Um, the, the, the long lost son of Garlemald. Gaius talks to Sid about his dad. Um, because Sid, Sid abandoned Garlemald. He didn't abandon. He, he defected. Um, he bailed. He knew his destiny was elsewhere. And he left his father there because his father was just, he had completely lost himself in the meteor project. And it's, you know, he didn't even know who his father was anymore and he could not condone all this stuff. But so the final days of Sid's dad are unknown to Sid. Um, he can only assume. So this is when Gaius tells him, did you know that, you know, in the days, weeks, months before your father died, uh, he actually had a change of heart. Sid, of course, is dubious because it had consumed him. But Gaius explains, no, Sid, when you left, the reasons why you left made him realize that it will, I guess, the reasons for your leaving, like you wanted to put your powers, you know, quote unquote, powers, um, your talents as an engineer to in the service of good, in the service of peace, rather than what his dad was doing, it softened him and it gave him new perspective. But he was so far into Meteor, you know, he couldn't, he couldn't, he couldn't turn that ship around. But it was a a change in him. Gaius says, towards the end of the Meteor Project, it swept Midas into its thrall, which sounds to me like some tempering. Definitely. Um, and that shit will get you. <laughs> that I shit mean, will get you. I mean, yeah, if it consumes, you know, mind, body, and soul, that's it. Like, you've created your own primal. Yep. After this drop, then Gaius is like, hey, Sid, you want a job? Sid is rightfully saying- Like, the fuck? You just told me <laughs> that my father had a change of heart and supported my beliefs- but now you're telling me to come and rejoin the Empire. Well, he thinks, Gaius thinks he's an extending an invitation to Sid to be on the right side of history. Because that's Gaius. Sure. Um, but I- I'm glad that Sid like, calls him out like, what the fuck? This, this makes no sense after your um, little revelation. And no, Sid knows it. No, thank you. Yeah. Uh, and then it's our turn. He's like, all right, well, Sid isn't going to join me. How about you, Warrior of Light? And, and then we're just like, middle fingers. And this starts the real hard strength theme for Gaius, where he says, with our strength, we could rule this realm. But if you do not join us, then we cannot suffer you to live, as we are too great a threat if we're on the outside. Darn tootin'. This is setting up his speech in a few minutes. Yeah. Uh, So now this is the first opportunity uh, Gaius has to try to take us out. So he's like, all right, I'm going to let them, you can't beat them, join them. I'm going to see if they want to join they don't want to join? Now we're going to be. During the cutscene, the elevator in the back of the room, which has some PTSD for the OG Praetoriumers, <laughs> um, it goes down and then it comes back up again with a Magitek Colossus, the big armored humanoids with the massive glowing swords. Yep. Um, fully automated, though. It's not like a suit. It's just like a robot. This is the first boss. The elevator comes up with its armor on top of it. It clumps forward towards us, and then Gaius slips out the back while it turns to fight us. This fight, though, is super basic. There's, like, one mechanic to it 
which is that he will fill most of the room full of AoEs, then he will swipe his sword in one of the safe spots. So if you get picked for the sword swipe, you got to hustle to get clear. That is like the only mechanic of the fight, really. Yeah, no big deal. Yep. Um, all right, so that's boss number one. Down. All right, so now we move on. Um, we ourselves are going to take... Uh, we don't... Do we take this lift or we just like teleport? We take the elevator. Okay. So underneath we find ourselves in the, like one of the armories. Um, this is where they hold all of the reapers. It's it's basically empty. It reminds me of like a Borg holding bay. I know the Jin is a Star Wars, not Star Trek person. It's blue and glowy, not green and glowy. But otherwise it's like these little ports for the armor to be serviced and to recharge between missions. Lo and behold, there is one left. And lo and behold, it's Maggie. Oh my god, it's Maggie. They she s- still has that paint on her. She still has the paint on her. Must have been some hella paint that Wedge put on her because I assume that they saw that and tried to get rid of it. I can't imagine why, uh, considering their experience with her and us uh, previously, that they would just put her back in rotation. Well, I would say Garleans are... A people of science. They don't believe in that magic bullshit. And I would think that they saw it being all weird. And they're like, that fucking Lala fell, did something weird to it. We're going to fix it. You know, we were being attacked. We need everything we have to fight back. Let's bring it back. Let's fix it up. And then we'll use it again. And it may have been mid-service while we find it. Right. I mean, obviously, they, they didn't even look at the core. Because then they would have seen that it's very different. Yep. But uh, good news for us. Uh, so this phase of the dungeon, I, I don't like calling it a dungeon because it's not, you know, we're not in one. It is what it is. So we, this phase, we need to hop into um, the Maggie suit and we will engage enemies in the suit. This was my first time doing this as a, um, with NPCs. Mm-hmm. And I was surprised to see that only we ride a Reaper when yeah. we're with NPCs. If we do it with players, everyone gets everyone one. Everyone gets one, yeah. I mean, it's fine either way because you do so much damage with the Reaper that... Uh, yeah, it's you, you really do only need one. Yep. Um, and in the Reaper, you will get... One of your hotbars will be replaced and uh, you, you will have two um, offensive abilities. Um, one will be like a large, uh, like an aerial uh, bomb and with a with the ground target that you place. And the other one is just like a machine gun fire. Um, and like the a bomb spray. does more damage, so only you don't you just use the bomb. Yeah. So like hit that aerial target as you're running, and then as you come up upon bros, just blam blam, and they're done. And we run into packs of enemies that are composed of armor, like reapers and vanguards, of Colossi, Colossi and vanguards. Yes, but we blast them with Maggie. No big deal. Easy peasy. Yep. And keep on trucking. And then we go back in. This is on another one of those exterior disc. This like is, yeah, things. like we, we leave, do we leave in like a hole in the wall or do we leave through a legitimate exit? We leave through a legit exit. Then we walk along the outside of this exterior the catwalk. praetorium. Yeah. And then we go back inside back. through an approved hole. Gross. <laughs> um, no, it's like, it's a built out entryway. Yep. Um, and then we find ourselves like an, int- it looks almost like an assembly line sort of um, like a manufacturing facility. So we're all walking on these like graded catwalks flanked by these giant mechanical arms that jump out. This is called the Magitech Research Area. So mm-hmm. this is where they are working on new projects. And what I think is in these tanks, because if you look at the name of these arms, as we walk through this area, 
out of these glowing tall cylinders that run from below the catwalk to the ceiling, these techno arms burst forth and swipe at you. Mm -hmm. And their name, though, is Prototype Ultima Part. Oh. So this seems to be, I'm I'm guessing when they drug the weapon out of whatever hole they found it in, (laughs) it was fucked to shit. So then they had to make replacement parts for it, and they, I'm assuming, were testing those here. So there might be, like, legs and shit in the other tanks, too. Amazing. And then maybe because we're attacking them at their at their base, at the heart of their operations, they're like, fuck it, pull out all the stops, turn those fucking arms on, who gives a shit? That's, I love that. Do we think that these things are being controlled by somebody? Or they're like, in, it, as they fled, they're just like, um, turn off all security measures and let the arms do what they will. And they basically act of their own accord when they sense a the threat. Like, what do, you, what do we think is controlling these things? I don't know, honestly. Like, it could be Nero, because we see him in a second, and he might be, like, using his little cool oh, techno band be, to do it. that could be, yeah, because this is, this is his jam. This is where he works. Yep. Yeah. So we get to, after all that stuff, we reach a door that looks to me like it's been shot, created over with cermit. Yeah, it's, it's, I hate that word. You, it's a it's technical a, term. It's a weird word. Cermit. Oh, you, you hate cermet. Cermet? C-E-R-M-E-T? I'm 75% sure it's spelled Sermet, which is the Garlean cement, of course. Yeah, no, it's it's an awkward word. I Even though like the, the proper term for it is concrete, not cement, because cement is <clears> a component <throat> of concrete. Wow. It It's it's web-like. Yeah. Um, It almost looks biological, like a robot sneezed. We blast at this cap, this Sermet cap with Maggie, and we keep going and going, and we're making no progress. Then Sid pings us. And he tells us it's not going to work. Use the Sid maneuver. Right. And what that is, is divert all the power to the cannon and use that cannon to blast that door open. Which, okay, we've used this mechanic before. How many times are we, we going to do this to Maggie? How many Reapers must die for you, Sid? Right. Um, I mean, I mean, it's great that they have this capability, but it is like a, uh, what is that? The, the final sting. It is the final sting. Yeah, it's the final sting of Maggie. Nice yeah. one, Jen. So we there's no there's no choice here. We have to do it. Yep. Um, thank you, Maggie, for your service. Rip so, Maggie. So um, we we do it, and of course, this completely overloads the core, and she shuts down. Before we walk into the next chamber, we take a moment of silence in front of Maggie again. Yep. Um, <laughs> You know, it's so amazing how quickly, like, this little, she's not little, um, but this this little piece of robotics has crawled its way into our hearts. Uh, I mean, once we replaced the core, it, she immediately had, like, a personality, and she was selective in who she worked for, and she needed um, very human-like encouragement. So, yeah, that'll do it. You know, that will endear her to us right away so we're sad that we had to kill her in service of this mission but then we move on yep we press forward for a little bit and we run right into nero in his full sweet ass red magitech armor oh he's so hot we don't even see his face but there's just something about the way he carries himself so and he's got this like bright red ass armor like like lacquer red sid pings us on our link pearl saying hey what's going on is somebody there and nero he taps his wrist device and some gps looking thing mm-hmm. appears behind a, like a, it looks a like cover a, like an old school like bubble compass yep and he boops his wristband and then he taps into the link pearl network easy piece and he's like sid what's up you piece of shit 
Exactly. Sid, you motherfucker! Um, so then this is Nero's turn uh, to have a little chat with Sid. Also, wait, before we move on, I didn't finish describing the way he looks. So. We've already seen him. We've already seen him. We have. But like, yeah, so he's got the metal suit and this helm he's still wearing that looks like it's made out of bone instead of metal. It's a very interesting combo. Um, anyway, so so now Nero launches into this whole thing. He has a lifetime of resentment built up towards Sid. And now is the time he gets to tell him all about it. Yeah, also Nero, seeing him like alone in a room, you can tell, okay, this is a tall ass dude. He's he's taller than Gaius, I think, even. Garleans are just tall in general, but he's like six foot five. This guy is huge. So, um, Nero has suffered under Sid's shadow his entire life, um, despite being more brilliant than Sid. Nero's failures were always, like, expected. If he failed, people were like, oh, well, you're just Nero. And whenever he exceeded all possible expectations, it was like, oh, look at you, following in the footsteps of Sid. No, that will fuck somebody up, and people will be mad. Even when Sid left, when Sid defected He's to- a traitor. He's a fucking traitor. Literal traitor. But apparently, so says Nero, that this only increased Sid's reputation. Oh, it catapulted him to legendary status. Because now he's like the unknown. And after all this shit, then Gaius tries to recruit Sid back. He gives oh. Sid a place at his side oh. while Nero labors in obscurity. No such offer made despite him working on the Ultima weapon. Yeah. And during all this, Sid's like, what? Huh? Really? And, I mean, so like Sid is just quietly listening, right? Yep. He's he's giving Nero his some space to let this all out. And at the end, Sid has nothing to say. And he's like, I don't know what to say to this. This isn't anything that I did to you. But uh, that uh, what, what do you what do you say? I mean, Sid shouldn't apologize because there's nothing he did. He's not going to apologize for being a traitor because that was a good decision. <laughs> but you know, you can't. He can't take that responsibility. So yeah, there is nothing to say here. But Jen, ever since Nero set foot in this benighted land, he's been watching Sid. Every move he has made, every step he has taken. Nero's been watching him. This is the line from the scene. You belong to me. But no longer. The Ultima weapon is the project that will rocket Nero's star to the top. And further, he wants to study our power of the Echo. He wants to take us down and bolster the ultimate weapon with the Echo. I'm not sure if that's possible, but he wants to try. I'm, you know, I believe Nero could do it. Absolutely. He's still a brilliant man. And once he does this, then finally, Senpai Gaius will notice him. <laughs> Aww. Uh, yeah. I mean, Nero, I think what this is all telling you is that you should defect and then you'll be uber fucking famous and desirable in Garlemald. No, he'll be following in Sid's footsteps again. No, no <sighs> winning yeah, for this is, guy. Yeah, there is no unique... There, there is nothing Nero can do that is like owned by him, and that sucks, honestly. Um, Until but now, he, like, but it's a prison of his own making. Let it go, dude. Well, I, to be fair to him, I, I do, I hear him always being overlooked. Oh, oh of course, of course. I can understand the toll that would take on someone, and he's, and understandably, in, in a, 
like a homogenous society like Garlemald, there was very little opportunity to make yourself that kind of singular character. It's all in service of the greater good. Do we think Garlians, it, it doesn't seem like they really like put spectacular individual achievement on a pedestal. You know, it's it's like, it's almost, it's it's kind of a communist situation in that way. Um, it but seems I, like I don't know the, too much um, about it. The warmongers are the ones who are elevated. You know, if you serve the empire at the front, it seems that is what gets you accolades. So the only way really, so what Nero wants is is like this godlike status. And the the mystery that is Sid, Sid, and bloody Garland is just enhances all of that. And there's no way he can have that in, you know, living in Garlem all the way it is, the way it's structured. That's, he can, he can contribute and be as brilliant, the most brilliant person in that society. Um, and he will never get the re- recognition that he thinks he deserves. Yep. So, so yeah. So Nero, the only thing left for you to do is bail. Defect. The only thing do left it. to do, do is it. to. Boop his wrist device, and from the heavens... Well, he, like, slaps it. He's like, shut up, Sid, I'm done talking to you. Slap, and then... Descends his techno hammer. This thing is... I. You know what? If I had to design a weapon that Nero used, this would not have been it. Because it is so barbaric. No, it's like, it's an enormous revolver it's like a big like a big stubby like a 357 i think um like a saturday saturday night special and gun people are going to be real cringy right now but um but it's a it's a revolver there's a revolving chamber and then there's spikes on the front of it so it's this it's like this big huge chubby revolver hammer thing that he has but when he when he wields that thing god is that hot oh that's (laughs) it's just Goddamn, dude. And it's very rare that you see Nero in battle like this. So enjoy. So what he has done, though, what Nero has done that is singular is invent new fight mechanics. <laughs> because I'm pretty sure yeah, this yeah. is our first stack and knockback marker of the game. Unless I'm missing something big. This is like the entire fight, though. If you know these mechanics, it's easy. If not, then you might be very confused. I mean, yeah, like they're going to teach you that when you get knocked back... Run as fast as you can to where you were, because then there's going to be a whole thing. The stack marker, I I really feel like there needs to be some tutorial saying, hey, stack the fuck up, because it's not clear. No, no. And as a new player, I did that thing where I ran away from it, and somebody with the marker was like chasing after me, like, stack up, motherfucker. And I'm like, no, I don't want to die. Because it, that's what it looks like. Yeah. Like, there's going to be a huge explosion where we're pointing right now. Do not stand here. <laughs> that's the appearance everything you said is correct though except do stand here because you want to spread there. the damage out across all the people in the marker yeah uh so this is the like the yellow white circle with the arrows pulsing inwards stand in them shits these will one shot a person if you don't stack with them yeah and then the other marker of course is the knockback he will go to the middle of the arena he electrifies the um perimeter of the arena so he'll go to the middle and then he will do the classic thing that this game loves where he will knock you towards the edge of the arena. If you're not close to him, you'll be knocked into the lightning and then he will drop a fat cone area of attack on you. So you've got to hustle to get out of that place you just got knocked to so you don't get fucked two ways. Yeah, this is like a 120 degree cleave. Yep. 
Um, so, uh, but that's, I think that's really the only unique shit that goes on in this fight. It's actually a pretty easy fight. Because you know the mechanics. Yeah. Yeah. Um, don't forget, you can use your knockback mitigation, shore cast, and arm's length, which everyone has at this point in time. Uh, these will block most knockback effects. Sometimes you want to be knocked back. Sometimes you'll die if you're not knocked back. And in some occasions, you cannot mitigate knockback, but for most of them, you can. It's a very smug feeling when you pop that knockback and the knockback mechanic resolves and you're still standing where you were standing. Yep. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's that's about it for the fight. Well, also, he summons in a Magitek claw sometimes. Oh, that's right. Just like a oh, giant he's fucking- he's got a stupid pun about it too. Flying metal claw that tethers to a player- that player has to run away from the claw. Other people need to kill the claw before it gets them. Yeah. And he's like, oh, have you met one of my other inventions? L- what he-, he says something about, like, let me give you a hand. After we defeat Nero, he retreats, yelling, this changes nothing. He's weakened. We did not slay him. Yeah, but could we? You know, he's such a special boy. Then the power goes out, and then it comes back on. And he is gone. So cool. Kind of a kind of cowardly move. Still kind of cool. This was sheer coincidence, I believe, because Sid pings us just then, saying that he detected a power surge. The weapon must be activated. Yeah, Gaius was down there and he like flipped the on switch. Yep. <laughs> the chamber it's in is saturated with heavy energies, and we will likely fall out of Link Pearl contact as yeah. we go down. So we press on to a wide cargo elevator that is positioned over a diagonal shaft. We turn it on. The lift starts up, sending us down into the depths. And then Sid's talking to us, and it gets more and more staticky. But he says, don't die. And then the link cuts out. Just then, bam, Gaius drops down, leaping onto the elevator. Here we go. This is the famous Gaius speech part one for whom do you fight so now we get the Gaius propaganda from the source (laughs) his version of the imperial line is different from the one we've been getting from Rattatan because Rattatan is like this is for the good of all of you you know you are dumbasses for not accepting imperial rule this will make you strong and safe and um, you know you don't need to rely on your primals and your bullshit to live well that's the same but Gaius, though, he has this whole strength-based philosophy, which did not come through to me in Rotodden's speech. Because what he says is that Eorzea is built upon lies because it is a faith-based society. And our 12, the 12 deities of Eorzea, are no different than the beast tribes that call upon primals. And when the 12 were called at Cartinoe, they were proven to be primals because Louis Sois summoning used faith in Aether in the same way that the, the tribes do when calling their primals. He's not wrong. No, he's not wrong. Why, he asks us, do we cling to them, these false gods, these primals which we have elevated to godhood? It is because we lack the strength to do otherwise. Man must own the world, raising himself up through conquest. The strong shall dictate the fate of the weak. And the only reason why Eorzea has its rulers, its weak rulers, is that they use faith to prop up and to justify their rule. 
if it were not for the 12 being pointed to saying, hey, these are the true rulers, or just here to enact their will or whatever, then they would crumble because they are weak. But Gaius, though, he has the right to rule because he has the might to claim it. Knowing this, with a single path is open to the infinite ruler, that of false worship, a path which leads to innovation and death. Only a man of power can rightly steer the course of civilization. And in this land of creeping mendacity, that one proof will prove its salvation. I guess. But it also betrays a fundamental misunderstanding of how um, a lot of how Eorzea is is run. I guess in the case of Gridania, maybe. But, like, these are things we can also, like, as far as the elementals go, we know they exist. And we, we know that they have um, kind of relinquished control. Not so much relinquished, but they're... They, um, they kind of have because... They, they had their pact with the elementals when they came from Gelmora to the surface. And then they're like, okay, so we will... We'll, we'll oh. hold back, but here are the Pajals now. Yeah. So they're going to act on our behalf. Yep. And that's that's not faith, because that literally exists. That is something that can be seen and measured. Yep. Um, for the other ones, I think this kind of betrays the fact that Gaius has been forming his philosophy in an echo chamber. A hundred percent. Okay, so Ishgard... Theocracy, no question. Right. They, they they're are also very insular and yeah, and and they're not even helping here. They're, they're not fighting. We don't talk about them. Yeah, <laughs> don't talk about Ishgard. <laughs> but for Gridania, not worshiping. Well, they they worship the twelve. But they do not. They're not justified by not the twelve. How, you know, Kanisena is not being propped up because she's like no. It's, it's the not, elementals. It's not, because, it's not because she's you know she's invoking Nemea's name and she's like oh I I speak to Nemea all the time and she's like you're the boss Kanisena and um nobody else can talk to her only I can talk to her like it's not that it's fucking not nope um but and for- super super not for um you know Lenosia super not for Ulda no they have their own rulership systems maybe yeah. not the best. But they're Definitely not true. faith-based. They're not no, propped up. No, So I think that Gaius has just been in his imperial oh, I, mill. That's exactly it. Yeah. He, and been told all the shit about Eorzeans. And he's like, this that's is That's why I, is I'm facts. saying in the course of the speech, he betrays this ignorance. Yep. And he thinks, and what he is essentially asking himself to do, or what he, what he has been trying to do this whole time, is to achieve a sense of, essentially, a primalhood of his own. So that he can rise above everybody else, rise above the status of man through through strength through might and control everybody i'm like how is that fucking different well i i disagree with that a bit jen because he his philosophy is fucked up but he lives it (laughs) he does he believes that the strongest should rule and when we prove in a moment that we are stronger he's like you should you should rule his ideology is fucked sure but he's he's consistent yeah exactly (laughs) (laughs) that's one thing he's got that going for him he's consistent about that yeah and and honestly like i you know, oh, it's the Black Wolf, it's Gaius, and he's he has orchestrated some abominations against Eorzea for sure. But again, sincerely believe, and this isn't this isn't like this isn't a cynical, you know, like warlord sort of behavior at all. He fully believes that we are under the thrall of some like bullshit primals, and like you all can do better. I'm the one that can help you do better. And again, ignorance. 
as he's making his speech, he starts to like get more and more amped up on his own energy. Mm-hmm. When he gets to the climax, he hefts his sword up and he crackles with lightning. And when the lightning fades, his armor has been transformed from black to gold. It's, it's kind of cool. And this is the visual cue for those of you who have decided, like, I'm going to do dishes. I'm going to make dinner. I'm going to go to the bathroom. Okay, get back in your seat. The fight <laughs> is about to begin. Yeah, it's, it's, we're do like, the lift is actively still moving down. And this is how we fight him. Yep. And, you know, bless him. He's like, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to confront them on, on my own. I'm not going to pull any vanguards or any of the myriad other fucking tools and machines and weapons that I have at my disposal because I'm, this is the, the capital of, <laughs> of the empire in eorzea um and he pulls out some 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 stuff man yep. um he's got his uh his his guys shaped phantasms that he that he busts out how is he doing this i'm assuming it's from some nero device that was made for him right it had to have been done without magic but it looks like something that is done with magic well you know jen sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable oh from magic oh my god uh, I, I don't disagree, but it is it is pretty sweet. It's pretty sweet indeed. So he will make these phantom Gaiuses across the arena, and he does, well, they do this signature kind of X attack where they swipe the air and it forms like a blue-white glowing X in space, and the X is kind of bulging in one direction. And the direction of the bulge is where they're going to sweep across the arena in a few seconds and hit everyone in a line with them. Mm-hmm. So you've got to look at the X's and then you have to position yourself so you're not lined up in, with them, in between them before they pop out. Yeah. The other main mechanic is that he drops these kind of um, these successive puddles of, of damage of explosions across the arena, but they go in alternating directions. So one will appear in a line from the left, one appears in a line from the right and so on and is kind of like a zigzag pattern. And you have to kind of run ahead of one of them and then duck behind the next one. Yeah. Um, he'll do that a lot. Yep. And then it's time for his special Gaius limit break. <clears throat> so after we get his health down, he will start charging up in the center of the arena and he, he becomes invulnerable. At the same time, he summons four more phantom Gaiuses and they will each start charging up. Mm-hmm. During this entire mechanic, there's a little charge bar that goes from zero to 100 if it gets to 100 ever, it will be a wipe. He will ultimate on you and you will die. Yeah. So you have to knock down his phantasms and this will then stop the bar from charging. However, while you're DPSing these guys, then um, his other mechanics still resolve. So you've got to dodge shit and look at shit and so on oh, yeah. while busting on these phantoms. Yep. Once that's done, he will do a party-wide blast that is proportionate to the amount of charge he has. So the more time he had to charge up, the more damage he does. This is a mechanic that is used a lot in trials, so take note. Indeed. Including in the La Habrea solo ah, fight. okay. Once he does his, his big blast, he's pretty easy. Just knock him down, he'll be almost down at that point in time. Yes. And then bam, uh, defeated. So this is when he's like, well, you beat me. Your strength befits a ruler, yet you lack the resolve to use it. I don't know, man. I think we have a lot of resolve. We're just using it to different ends. Now the elevator touches down at the very bottom. We are so far below the earth here. And Gaius gets out, heading into the next chamber. And we can see past him, there is the ultimate weapon, the Ultima weapon, waiting for us. 
And again, I just have to say how impressed I am with Gaius's like collectiveness. He seems honestly very level-headed. Um, we've never seen him explode in rage. We've seen him explode in like passion. Um, but the man, after fighting us, literally saunters into this room and closes the door behind him. And we're like, we're just going to follow you in there. But he just, he remains completely collected to this whole thing, which props. You know, he's not like mouthing off. He's not acting out of desperation or panic. It's kind of great. So, of course, we follow him into the chamber where the ultimate weapon is housed. It's a very kind of weird construct. It's like a mechanoid dragon centaur. Yes. Kind of. And on That's its, like bottom heavy. On its shoulder is Gaius. As we enter, he steps inside the weapon's cockpit inside its head, and it begins to surge to life. Brief pause as we transition from the dungeon. Now we begin the trial, the ultimate weapon. Mm-hmm. And we enter the trial. The platform the weapon is standing on activates. It's an elevator. Now we're going back up again. So this entire encounter happens on this giant circular cargo elevator that will be ascending all throughout the battle. Yep. And that's it. No real fanfare. Just the battle begins. Yep. This music, though, is one of my favorites in the game. Is that the... I can't can't do it. No, that's the phase two music. Also super sweet. I had a couple moments in this this whole thing where I was like, oh, this music is so good. And so, so now what he's, what guys has in the Ultima weapon is the power of the three primals we've defeated this far. So it's Garuda, Titan, and Ifrit. So you will see some, uh, some mechanics that are um, thematically appropriate for each of these primals that he... They kind of replay the four-person trial mechanics for each primal. He will start off with Titan, and it's like the Titan trial. So you're going to do the same mechanics as you are against Titan... So essentially, the um, the ultimate weapon works just like a summoner. And we may recall that the art of summoning was invented in Alag. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm like, oh, look, the ultimate weapon is, it's a summoner. It is. Because <laughs> it brings in its own oversized eggies. You know, like it'll yeah. bring in like a, a titan. It's just like one big fat butt summoner. <laughs> fat butt summoner. We do the um, the trial mechanics for a few moments until... It drops the earthen coffin thing mechanic on us where we are entombed in earth. And during the trial, this would happen to one person, then the other people bust them out. But in this case, though, the entire party is entombed. Well, we're boned. Um, And as we are all entombed in in stone or earth, um, the ultimate weapon is is charging up something. It's cooking something up. But then suddenly Heidelin enters the chat. I'm so sorry. I've... (sighs) I'm like, I'm, I'm cheapening this whole experience by 
saying this shit with your bullshit I, yeah with my with my internet isms um but then you know heidelin interjects and she helps us out <laughs> <laughs> um she speaks here and she says look to the light she's kind of like a broken record honestly because yeah, she keeps saying that it's the same we get it but you know it works but so. yeah this frees us from our prisons and also it ejects titan from the weapon Titan slumps forward, slain. The weapon loses its energy. That's it, yeah. And then it summons Garuda, same deal, until it surrounds itself with an impenetrable shield of wind and begins charging up a room-wide AoE. Same thing. Look to the light. Blam. Garuda ejected. Mm -hmm. Ifrit fills the room full of fire puddles, and then Heidelin intervenes once more. This is the end of the first phase of the fight. It's essentially a remix of those individual trials which is pretty cool it's like here's all the shit you saw now yeah. all together in one big fight yeah gaius is confounded how can we stand against this all-powerful weapon and now laha brea appears thank abrea yeah so laha brea is like it is the blessing of light that confounds you exactly it kind of confounds us too but we're just letting it roll and laha brea thank abrea then tells Gaius about this, the secret, the secret, it's not secret, well, a secret to Gaius, the, the core within the Ultima weapon, that is the whole reason why they have dug this thing up, at least from the Ashians' perspective, because they did not let anybody in Garlemald know about this. And what this is, is the heart of Sabik. Um, this is... This houses the most powerful spell known, period. Like, the, the Allegans couldn't even right. handle it. This artifact predates Alleg. So yeah. they stuck it in here when they made the weapon, but they didn't really fully understand what they it was. They didn't know. They just knew it was powerful, and that's it. And it is the Arbiter of the Ultima spell. Right. So all of the shit with the primals... Gaius thought he was powering up the weapon and it was going to kill primals and save Eorzea, blah, blah, blah. No. Laha Brea wanted it to absorb these primals because their essence would quicken the heart. And yeah. that is the sole purpose of this whole scheme. Yes. It was not to use the power of the primals. It was essentially to like suck up their essence to power the heart of Sabik. And that was the end goal for the Asians, which is why they told fucking nobody about it. Until it became necessary to tell somebody about it. Um, so obviously Gaius is mad. And La Habria is like, I don't care. Um, be mad. Kill these motherfuckers. And the weapon begins unleashing the spell without any input from Gaius. Gaius is not happy about this happening. He does not want this to happen, but the weapon's chest it's, opens up. It's going to do. It unleashes a immense burst of blue-white light. And just before it overtakes us, we see our heart shine. The light within us shields us. Then we zoom way the fuck out and see like the Magitech airship circling the entirety of Castrum Meridianum. And this blast even engulfs the airships outside the Praetorium. This levels the Castrum. It is fucking done. It is fire and ash and rubble. The arena, um, like we just see the skeletal structural members of the Praetorium left. Everything else is done. And the elevator we were on, it is now fused into place on these four support beams of the elevator. And then we get the line. Such devastation! 
This was not my intention. We are still fine. The blessing of Heidelin has protected us, but she is spent. Mm-hmm. She has no more power here. She that, used it, it all up to save us yeah. from the Ultima spell. And Gaius is livid. He now knows that La Habrea was playing him. Mm-hmm. Honestly, he shouldn't be surprised, frankly, but whatever. He thought they were on the same team, man. We'll talk later. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's not a threat, bro. <laughs> To anybody else, it would be. La Habria tells Gaius now that we are exposed. Our benefactor has no more power here. So I mean, strategically, not a bad play. He can now kill us without any further impediment. He's got the heart of Sabiq. So like utilize that. Yeah, this this thing I just told you about. Go ahead and use it now, buddy. I believe in you. And Gaius is like, fine, I'll deal with you later on, Asian. No, you won't. And he's like, okay, let's do this. You and me. Warrior of Light. I mean, fair. Yeah, just like completely wipe out all of Heidelin's strength. The Ossians know that she's like doing shit for us. So yeah, yeah, get her get her done. Oh, I think that he just kind of wants, this is now like a pride moment is my interpretation. Uh, he's <sighs> he's like, okay, you had your, um, your, your buddy there helping you out beforehand. That was not a fair fight. Now here is a fair fight. We'll see who is stronger. Fuck the rest. We'll deal with that afterwards. And he's still very interested in seeing who is stronger. Yep. Um, so Gaius, if one thing, he's true right. to his convictions. Right. Yeah. So uh, time for phase two of the Ultima weapon. This is a serious fight. It really steps up the, the pace here um, oh, yeah. in this and the upcoming La Habrea fight. Honestly, I think this is tougher than the primal empowered weapon. Oh, yeah. Ignoring the like the unblockable attack stuff. Um, otherwise, though, this is a lot more dangerous, in my opinion. So it's got tons of attacks. It will paint the ground before it in these green beams. Then they will explode moments later. So dodge them beams. Uh, tank purge is a party-wide attack. Heal and mitt. <laughs> Citadel buster, which I think is a very evocative name. It will point itself in a direction... And its chest begins charging up a big blast of energy. You'll have to get out of the way or you're going to get busted. Nice. <laughs> Another one of those untelegraphed AoEs, which are great. And then Gaius brings in Magitek bits during the fight, which I don't think we've seen before this. No, just the, Nero's Deathclaw. Yep. The bits are like little winged drone guys that will shoot lasers in line AoE shapes before them. And they are usually used to kind of complicate fights quite a bit. They will deny half the arena by volume, by surface area, with these lasers. And you've got to kind of duck and weave between them. Yeah. can You can target these and... In, in... Not in the normal version. Oh, okay. They're just threats. They're just there. And they will go away and recharge after a little bit. Until then, though, they will give you a lot to kind of dodge around. Yeah. At one point, the weapon summons in these dark, nebulous balls of energy... This is the etheric boom, and you have to run into these things bodily to detonate them before they collide, because they will tether to each other, and if the balls touch in the middle, they will explode. I don't know if it wipes you in the normal version. It will wipe you in the extreme if the um, energy balls collide in the middle, so you got to suck them up with your character before they do so. My favorite part of this is the proximity AoE mechanic. We see these markers, you know, the pulsing proxy markers on the floor, and you got to run away, of course. But when these resolve, 
these are the airships that were blasted by the ultimate spell crashing into the arena. So cool. So they come careening down and explode across the entire arena. Yeah. Uh, just over the course of the fight. Super cinematic. I love this so much. Yeah. And of course, the weapon doesn't do one thing at a time. It will just combine all these different mechanics together and make you have to hustle a lot to get it done. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But towards the end of the fight, the weapon begins charging up again. Gaius, again, did not do this, but the weapon begins to, of its own volition, conjure another Ultima spell. And Gaius is yelling at it to stop. You know, I don't want this. Yeah. But um, it will still charge up a long-ass cast bar for Ultima. And this is the final DPS check. Uh, so, right. As we said before, Heidelin, I mean, she's done. Um, and she she speaks to us now. She's like, you guys, I don't have anything left for you. Pray? But the power is inside of us, Jen. Right. So what our prayers will do is render unto us a strength that is like unearthly. And strength it- that will break the third limit. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for that face, Jen. Uh but yes. So now we're all now we're all Super Saiyans. And now we can we can wail on the last bits of life left in the ultimate yeah. weapon. So we get a um, charge up all the way to limit break three, which hopefully a DPS uses to unleash their third limit break. Did not um, use. You did not. <laughs> no. What? Why? Because I never, as like a ranged DPS, I never use it because it's never like a good idea. That's it's sometimes it's it's better than nothing, heavily, I guess. Heavily disagree. Okay, wow, tangent time, but whatever. Okay, so limit breaks. Here we go. It was always it was always hammered into me, do not do it, because you are a magical ranged DPS. That shit will be like an AoE. In general, healers don't ever use limit breaks except for LB3, because the LB1 and 2 is like a fat heal that takes longer to cast, and usually your normal heals will do the job. You don't need to blow a limit break for a fat heal. LB3 will heal the entire party to full, and it will raise them from the dead with no resurrection debuff. So LB3 is the famous wipe saver when a healer can pull it off. And it's always fun when like the healers are dead, but like a red mage reses a healer, and then the red mage dies, the healer comes back, squeezes in the LB3, and then it saves the run from the brink of disaster. Great times. Great times. Um, The tank LBs will make a big party-wide or raid-wide damage mitigation. LB1, usually trash. LB2 and LB3. There are some times when you want to use these mechanically speaking, as in you want to use them for a certain fight effect. In like Savage Raids, for instance, you can um, take some very complicated mechanics and kind of brute force them by using a tank LB3 just to give your party the damage resistance to ignore the mechanic and just say, fuck it, it's too complicated, let's just skip it. So you can use LB3 to skip a mechanic. It's pretty sweet when you do. Um, LB2, also useful, but less so to that purpose. Note that the tank LBs are not all that big, actually. So make sure that you are centered around the party when you use them. They will not hit the far corner of the arena if you're on the other corner or whatever. And then the DPS LBs. The melee limit breaks are single target effects. The range limit breaks are... A big fat line AOE that will hit everything in a line for medium damage. And then the caster limit break is a circle AOE. In general, what I've heard, not confirmed, is that at in-game content, 
for melees, Limit Break 1 and 2 is actually less powerful than your normal rotation. Limit Break 3, though, is a fuck ton of damage and use LB3 as a melee DPS on bosses all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, typically, unless you want to save it for another purpose, you can blow that thing and do a huge chunk of damage to a boss. Done. And I think that before in-game, um, LB1 and 2 are more valuable for melees. For the, the area attack ones for range and casters, these are actually very useful in certain scenarios. Like often, especially for dungeons, using a range or caster limit break on a trash pack is actually very good and will be more effective and more useful to you than using like the melee LB on the boss because you can wipe a good portion of that pack's health off the map period with your limit break. Also, there are some mechanics where either in ad phases or if there are things like the Gaius phantoms, phantasms, whatever, where you can hit multiple boss targets with one limit break. Using your ranger caster limit break on those is also very useful too, because you can essentially make up for their lower damage with volume. So, you know, the the quantity over quality thing. And then, of course, if you're in a trial or whatever, and your melees have forgotten that limit break exists, which happens all the time then do your fucking caster or range LB. Don't don't waste it. If, if the boss is like at 5% health and your melees have not done it, just hop in there and do it. It looks super sweet. It's damage. It's good. Fucking do it. Yeah. Tangent over. Good tangent. Thank you. Okay, so we use our DPS LB3 on the ultimate weapon and we defeat it, resting victory from the clutches of defeat. Yeah. Gaius is ejected. Yeah, he goes flying out of the cockpit and Fwish's armor reverts back to black from gold. Yeah. He gives us his final advice, which, broken record, but whatever. Heed me. Subjects of a weak ruler must needs look to a higher power for providence. The misguided elevate the frail unless a man of power rests control. Okay, yes. Thank you for the summary of your whole elevator speech. Yeah. It's, got it's the it. elevator pitch. Like, he's really concerned. It's the elevator pitch of the elevator speech. Bam. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> he collapses and the weapon begins twitching, overloading and exploding. Duty complete. But we're not done yet. Boy. In the sky above the battlefield, La Habrea materializes again. And he immediately starts mocking Gaius for his failures. Pathetic. I mean, yeah, not a great showing. They didn't put all their eggs in this basket, but they put a lot of eggs in this basket. Uh, so he is disappoint. Honestly, um, I was surprised. Well, I guess my character probably would have been surprised that La Habrea would like suck it up and be like, all right, bitch, I'm going to fight you now. Well, Jen, only the return of the one true god can excise Heidelin. However, a chaotic confluence of untold proportions must be brought about to restore this god, which necessitates the presence of the primals. Uh, However, the champion of light cannot be suffered to stand in the way, Jen. We and the Scions must go so the Asians may realize their plan. So that's why he's fighting us, Jen. He tells us. Yeah, like, no, we're we're the only thing standing in the way of their grand plans because we keep killing the primals. Yep. And they keep trying to summon them. Yep. Ah. Also, this chaotic confluence sounds like a calamity to me. Just saying. Yeah. He tells us that the planet is suffering from an etheric imbalance. 
and the root of its corruption is Hydaelyn. She must be burned out if the planet is to recover. So we don't get any further details for a, a bit on the Asians' plans, but this is our first hint of their real motivations. Mm-hmm. It's not, haha, villains, let me monologue to you from the shadows, or monologue to myself about you from the shadows. This is actually a kernel of their motivations. And what struck me initially upon hearing this was the talk about Heidelin being essentially a parasite. Right. They are presenting this through their own lens, sure, but... It makes you think. It does make you think. Lahabre is not acting like he's trying to convince us. He's not saying, betray Heidelin and join me because she's a parasite. He doesn't care what we believe. He doesn't give a fuck. He's just like, I have a thing that I need to do. You're in my way. That's it. So he believes what he's saying. And even though they are opposed to us, they are not fools, which means there's some truth to this whole Heidelin parasite thing which sticks in your brain. Mm -hmm. What is the deal here? What don't I know about this whole situation? Right. Yeah. Planting seeds. After though, after he says, you got to go, you got to go. He doesn't spend time monologuing this time. He's like, all right, (laughs) it's dual time. We're going. I'm I'm going to kill you. He tries real hard. Um, Before the fight, he summons his Asian mask, the floating red symbol over his face, his war face. Yeah, it's intimidating. It's kind of scary. Yeah. Psychological warfare for sure. This fight has a lot of mechanics to it. Like, holy shit. Yeah, dude. Um, A lot of it is just area denial, either with overlapping AOEs or by putting these like damage puddles on the ground where you just can't go in them, period. And then he'll make you like duck and weave around them. There's also a new trick here, which take note once more, we'll see this later on where he summons a ton of these little kind of kernels of flame across the field. And you got to look at them and look at where there are not these little motes of flame. Find the gap. Because in a moment, they're going to get big and explode. Yeah. This is a Brayflox long stop thing that you learn. Is that in Brayflox? Yeah. So those little puddles of slime will be telegraphed. They drop oh, yeah. and it, then they yep. get bigger. Similar to that, but Similar, a lot but, more. But it's, it is the entire arena except for this one spot. Yep. And it is a small spot. Um, and then also he pulls something from the old Nero book, like that. He's hey, using Nero's mechanics where he knocks you knocks towards you the back, wall. And, and then, then you got to run womp. to the safe spot. Yeah. Yep. Um, you will not be able to use your mitigation because he does it. He does it multiple times. Yep. He's going to do it before it's ready to go again. So you got to figure it out. And I'm not sure if you were looking at this, Jen, when you were doing the fight. This is both of our first times, by the way, of doing the solo duel against La Habra. Yes, yeah. So no, I had no idea what nope. was going to happen. But um, I noted that his health was going down so fucking slowly during this. Like, <laughs> Great, we're going to be here for 25 minutes. I don't remember when that switch was flipped, honestly. He does his very own La Habra limit break charge up mechanic. Where he summons these dark orbs across the battlefield, and he will teleport to the edge. This is still in the same flaming circle as with Ultima. And he teleports beyond the flames where you can't reach him, and tethers to these four energy balls. And again, he starts charging up his bar, his energy bar, from 0 to 100. Because they they are empowering him. Yes. And what you need to do is knock whatever you can down. However, it soon becomes apparent, at least to me, that you cannot... You cannot. Do this. You will try, but you, you can one, maybe knock maybe. down one, two, hopefully. And I think maybe the point of this, it's its definitely a DPS check. The, the, the point is for you probably just to do one. If you can't do one, if you're like, if you're 
trying to do all four, for example, you're not going to do it. You will fail. Well, it doesn't matter because he fills his bar to full and he kills you. Just it's a white. Oh, right. Yeah. 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 It's just it's a it's a plot mechanic. Thanks, Jen, for boiling down this moment to a fucking <laughs> plot mechanic. It's a plot device. <laughs> um, but I mean, obviously, so what this communicates to you is this man obviously oh. is extraordinarily powerful. Yes. After he fills his ball to full, his bar to full, <clears throat> he will suck up the energy from these things and summon a great blazing like void orb and oh. hurl it upon oh, the battlefield. Yeah. It explodes all over you and you collapse. Finished. You're done. You're done. Lahabria says yours was always a vain struggle. Just like it's another day. Like he just finished lunch. I'm sure he's meant thousands of adventurers in his lifetime. Um, so I don't blame him for boiling us down to this stupid little soundbite. Um, but, you know, like for him, this is just like one task in a thousand tasks that he has to do to get to his end goal. Yep. That's it. So, yeah, he, he marks our death with a just a an off the cuff line, an insult. So there we are lying in the middle of this arena until that heartbeat sound starts happening. Because, um, of course, we're not dead. Of course, we're not dead. Um, and this is this is a hear, feel, think moment. Um, and I don't know what it is. Oh, no, no. So Heidelin, what she does is she summons all of the crystals that we had collected thus far, all six. And they, they, um, they spawn in within that sacred geometry around us. And there's light, there's movement, and there's, there's a little bit more Heidelin power here that like whatever she can expend, she's expending. Um, and this, this brings us back. And we gain this glowing, like blazing aura around us for the rest of the fight. We are now supercharged with light and we're back. We can now finally wound La Habrea. We start to actually make progress here in the fight. And the attacks that were bringing us down to almost nothing beforehand are survivable. Mm -hmm. So um, you may have seen Jen, uh, he does the double spell in the first phase where he will blast us twice with this, like, you can't heal debuff. Yeah. And that will drop your health down to a sliver. But now during phase two, he'll cast triple and it's like, dink, 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 just like a little bit of, of damage on you, mm -hmm. but you're fine. The second phase though is an intensification and remix of the first phase mechanics. They showed you how they work beforehand. Now it's serious time and, and you're going to have to dodge more things and he will combine his various mechanics together to keep you moving. But you can survive more damage and you can do more damage now that we have this blazing aura of light upon us. And during the fight, though, he I know that's hard to see dialogue when you're dodging shit and so on. But he threatens us that if he dies, so does Thancred. But yeah, Heidelin steps She's in like, saying no. Don't don't listen to this. She says the line, look toward the light. <laughs> is in like you know this you know this is just like a tactic, right? Like look towards the light as in look towards the actual truth yep. behind his words. We beat him so hard we beat him back into the ethereal void. Yeah. We're in that, that same dark space. This is actually is like that vision we had at the beginning of the game. Yeah. Where we're asleep in the cart or on the boat or whatever, and we are seeing us and Inassian, um, we didn't know who it was at the time, but this is that moment now realized in in reality versus in this kind of vision of the future. Mm -hmm. 
and we are surrounded in the void by this you call it the sacred geometry gem yeah. with the six elemental crystals and Heidelin calls out to us here telling us to conjure a blade of light which we do um, I'm assuming this is always your class weapon like I pulled up a spear of light from this yeah, I pulled out a bow. Yeah. So you, you summon a weapon of light and you wield it. And this will send a like an arc of light energy sweeping over Thankabrea. And this ejects Lahabrea from Thankred's body. Yeah. It ejects him so far, he gets shot all the way to Hydaelyn. <laughs> Lahabrea is now floating in this void and looming behind him. It's It's like a, if he's the protagonist in a horror movie... Mm-hmm. It's like behind him is the monster. Behind right. him is the towering crystal of Hydaelyn. She's right behind me. And she? he beholds it. We stand before him and we summon to our side the spirits of the Scions and our companions from our journey so far. So we bring in Raban, Kanisena, Merylvib, just I think. Menphilia. Yeah, all the Scions are there, yeah. um, including Elfino. The Scions. And Elfino. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Levi did you dirty. (laughs) Only because he's kind of appointed himself like, like, you know, he's like PR, I guess. So, but honestly, he he just kind of like walked in. He's like, all right, I'm in charge now. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Still very much a scion though. Yeah. Um, anyway, so um, them and the leaders of the city-states, and I don't think anyone else is there. It happens very quickly, though, so we yeah. couldn't confirm. But So we summon the spirits of these people. We charge La Habrea all together in this kind of blazing rush of light, striking through his body and obliterating him. Yep, sending him back to the void from whence he came. Back in the physical world, we gain our feet and look around at the crumbling and burning Praetorium. It's real bad, um, and we are we are alone. It's it's Gaius's probably almost dead body, and escape is not very clear because again we're in the middle of a burning city. And then Maggie comes galloping in to save the day. Fuck yeah! So, she goes leaping over the flames that surround the elevator platform. There is so much personality in this in this machine. Like you can just you can just see it. Oh, this is and this is our way out. So we load Thancred up onto Maggie and we start running. And the explosions are licking our heels the entire time. As we are rushing out, we jump back to the Praetorium interior, and Gaius gets to his feet. He's still alive, at least for the moment. And he surveys the ruin of his fortress. And so my conquest ends, Sid, in smoke and ashes. And then we get summoned back to the ethereal void again before Heidelin. There are so many endings in this <laughs> this sequence. Yeah, I knew. I knew that I was not going to remember the sequence of all of these things. Because there are so many things as well that you can't like um, pause on. So if you're yeah. taking notes, then good fucking luck. I was just trying to like cram everything in my head and oh then I would God. pause the first possible cutscene and like, like <laughs> blah, 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 blah. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, so we get sucked back to the ethereal void again as we are riding on Maggie. We get a long speech from Heidelin about essentially we have won the day, but there is still darkness out there. Right. But still, you have earned your peace, so go enjoy it. Right. Um, and I think that's probably why I misremembered 
the Sugans a lot of this because I, I, I'm like, okay, it's more uh, aggrandizement from Madeline about like how amazing we are. And Honestly, you did a this good is job. I'm unnecessary. Like, okay, okay. We yeah, get told the same thing again in two seconds. It's and she's just like, like, "You're you're my special boy." And it's like we say goodbye, and then she calls us on her cell phone. Right. Afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> so make sure you made it home, okay? Um, and now we're yeah. now we're outside the Praetorium. But just but just basically like don't don't sit back on your laurels laurels. Uh, yeah. And enjoy what you've done, but they're still out there. So now now we cut to um, the. The leaders of the Allied forces and a group of people and some scions that are, they can see everything that has happened. I mean, from a distance, they can see that the castrum has been completely obliterated. It is the Command Hill. Command Hill. Yeah. Aptly named. Um, That's my name, not the game's name. Oh, okay, great. So our fate at this point is unknown because nobody can reach us by Link Pearl, obviously, because there's shit. There's just shit everywhere. Um, they know that we are still very likely trapped inside and they're trying to figure out how to get us out. Um, uh, Kane Senna, and honestly, in this scene and the next, Kane Senna kind of takes the role as like speaker of the group, honestly. And she's like, Sid, can you not get aboard the Enterprise and get in there and get her out? And Sid's like, I could, but it would just destroy everybody. There's, 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 there's nothing we can do. There's nothing we can do. I think Merle Vib is like, isn't there something we can do? <laughs> no! Um, and at this point, Minfilia does the only thing really that she can. And she um, she calls out to Heidelin. And and Heidelin is like, reach out to us in whatever way you can. Um, as a way, I guess, to maybe guide us. And it fucking works. Because the tunnel... Uh, they're standing at like the end of a long tunnel. Like some kind of exhaust port something. Um, and this is where we find our exit. And of course, we get to ride Maggie down this tunnel, being licked yep. by flames yep. at her heels, yep. and explosions. Leap forth. Yeah, just just as the whole thing is like one final like bleh, um, outside of this thing, and here we are with with Maggie with Thancred. Everybody is stoked. Papalimo and Ida share a high five. Um, there you go. So, um, we switch over to the closing credits here. This is later on in Mordona as some credits play over the final scenes. Right. We're in the in the shadow of Bahamut at Silvertail Lake. That's Midgar Stormer. Is it Midgar Stormer? So, oh my god, I'm wow, such an asshole. You're fired. You know, we do, uh, the dragon. Um but yeah, um we're at Silvertail Lake. Yep. And um the flags of all the city-states have been staked out here. It feels like a picnic, kind of, in a sense. Yeah, I mean, it's because now it's it's sunny. It's daytime. And everyone is here. We have um, the leaders. Here. Thancred's here. Thancred is sitting down in and the scene. He's got, like, pajamas on. Implying he is recovering, but yeah. not back at full strength. Yeah. But he's conscious. And as everyone's kind of hanging out, talking, Alphano monologues to himself. Though Thancred is back... What about La Habrea and the other Asians? Mm-hmm. But we must savor our peace for now. That's it. Yep. The Asian threat still exists, but let's enjoy this while we can. Um, Heidelin just said it to us, but sure, Alphamo yep. can say it. Whatever. After the opening mingle, then the <laughs> leaders of the city-states. It's like, it's so casual. It actually bothers me. <laughs> Everybody's just like, oh, woo. 
It's a festive occasion. Uh, I mean, though, it's like it's great. It's like what a fucking relief. So so short. Everybody's happy, but it just the way everybody's just kind of like milling about. Fine. Like you know the 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 bulk of the armed forces aren't there, but the leadership is there. Uh, you know, I'm sure you know the captains are, are doing their own addresses to whatever. But yep. anyway, uh, yeah, it's a very it's 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 a kind of a chill environment. Um, and so this is when, um, so eventually after some like, hey, how's it going? Yeah, I thought you died. I thought I died too. <laughs> um, the, so Raban, Merleveb, and Kanisana will um, kind of convene and begin to kind of like make a final address to wrap up this whole thing and, um, you know, talk about next steps. So they give a lot of formalities, which the game kind of repeats itself here. Yes, the leaders are going to restate the obvious for the masses before them. No question. Backpatting, thank you, thank us, thank everyone, blah, mm-hmm, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. However, there is a, well, there are two big announcements that take place during this speech. The first one is that the leaders commit to a unified Eorzea. They will now not isolate themselves with their own affairs. The suffering of one is the suffering of all. The alliance will persevere beyond this battle beyond this operation and they will carry it forward then the leaders draw their weapons and put them together to make a proclamation five years ago eorzea bore witness to the end of the sixth astral era now the seventh umbral era draws to a close yet we come together not to glory in its end but to mark a new beginning That on this day, by the light of the crystal, Eorzea ushered in a new era. The seventh astral era is come. And thus is ours a realm reborn. And there is much rejoicing. And now the screen fades to black, full credits, one great, great news, alliance, blah, blah, blah. But even though it's mostly symbolic, the change from umbral to astral is a big deal too, because it's saying, hey, we are done with kind of surviving this event. We're now going to prosper. Right. It's aspirational, of course, because they don't know the future, that the threats are behind us. Not quite true. But <laughs> right, they're behind us. But if they occur again, we know that we have we have the collective power to to deal with it. Yep. After the main credits, there is something called the Meteor Survivors, and for those who don't know, this is a list of the players who were playing the original 1.0 Final Fantasy 14 at the end of that game's era. Yep, I love that they did that. Thank you, brave survivors of that dark time. Yeah, and thanks for coming back after the credits. We're still in Mordona. Yes, we're and, and now it's it's like post speech, and it's just kind of more milling about. Um, but then we get that familiar feeling that we're going to black out. Something is we're going to have a vision, and it's a very quick vision. But what we see is a dark Hydaelyn spinning in space. The vision swirls around in this void for a moment, and it's a dark void. However, something is different than the void we see Hydaelyn in. 
there are not those kind of motes of blue light circling around. This feels off immediately. And then the camera begins zooming out and we see bits of purple crystal and it keeps on pulling away from the subject, which is a dark Hydaelyn. It is a dark purple crystal, like the Asian's dark we, crystal. Right. That looks just like Hydaelyn. Yes. So is this is this uh, is this the future that we're barreling towards? Is this something that we can still change? Is this something that exists in real time, in, like in a different plane? We don't know. It's but it is worrying. We we gain consciousness again in the real world and we're like oh that was weird and philly is like what's going on and we're about to answer her and then and then the entire land shakes with this enormous roar unlike anything we've ever heard except Raban's heard it before it is familiar to him it's going to be familiar it is it is vaguely familiar to many of the people standing in, in this in this field a soldier runs up and he's in full panic mode, and he's like, it's a primal. But it's not, it is not, it is not Titan, it is not Ifrit, it is not Garuda. The fuck is this? The roar sounds again, and the camera now shows us a mound of corrupted crystal. It looks almost like a broken egg that towers over Mordona. Yes, and this is this is opposite Silvertier Lake. And that's it. Then, another scene. Oh, man. We end up in some lightless place with stone floors, and we can barely make out robed Asians stepping on the ground here. Note, when they step, they make a sound, an echoey sound of feet on stone. Yeah. And as we they're, know- They're the Asian... existing in a physical space. Yes. Okay, great. So this is multiple Asians congregating in a space. We don't know where the fuck in, in time- or space this is it's really disorienting because it's so you're dark. like where the fuck are are we and then one steps forward and they speak in that it's the asian you know, tongue yeah. yeah exactly that kind of haunting droning asian speech with that purple text and someone called pashtaro sure they say bahamut stirs mm. another one steps forward this is igayorm igayorm i don't know um sadly regardless they say as will the others before long. A third Asian steps forth. Nabrialis. Tis not a question of whether Eorzea's champion shall yield, but of when. And then Lahabrea. He's not dead. He's in this place. With each passing moment, we draw closer to the reckoning. And with the reckoning will come the resurrection of their god. And we finally get a name here, Zodiac. And then the camera zooms out and we see a collection of Asians, and I'm going to guess 13. And they chant in unison, to the one true god, to Zodiac. And then fade to black. And we are finally out of the cutscenes. <laughs> we get booted to the Waking Sands. Waking Sands! We have returned. And we hear that happy, cheery Sid music. So we're back at the Waking Sands. Yay. Um, we're already downstairs. And we walk in and like, oh, this is so emotional. It's like at the end of Wizard of Oz, like all our friends are there. <laughs> so these are some of the, the lesser known, I guess you could say, scions. But then also a bunch of people we've met along the way, including Biggs and Wedge 
and uh, Sid is there. Um, Iliud, Father Iliud from the um, the chapel. Church of St. Andama, Landama. Yeah, there you go. Um, Wedge, he's there. Wedge still wants that Tataru. I talked to everybody. I talked <laughs> to everybody. Um, and the uh, the three brothers. Um, the merchant brothers. Yeah. So like Brennan, Brent, Bramont, whatever yeah. they are. And they're all wearing, they're wearing, and I, they they haven't been together at this point, but they're wearing red, yellow, and blue for their respective areas. And you you walk up, and they all start applauding and cheering you. And um, so I just I went around the room and, and talked to everybody. And yes, Wedge is like, I will win Tatru's heart. I swear to God. Um, Biggs tells us that he wants to start his own his own ironworks. Um, he loves working for Sid and he loves doing this work, but he like he wants to do his own thing. Um, and we talked to the brothers and like, yay! So I guess we're even, huh? <laughs> um, and Arnvald is there, and he's like, he's he's full on in, um, you know, I I want to be I want to be a hero mode, and I want to uh, the two the I think the brother and sister that were killed in the raid on the Waking Sands. He mentions their names, um, and then uh, a couple of the other um, scions are there too, and then we. We continue on, and then it's our scion friends, and they they applaud us uh, as well. And so this is you know this is a uh, Thancred, Nystrola, and you know all of them. Um, and Thancred, of course, the first thing out of his mouth is an apology. I don't remember exactly what everybody said, but um, you know it's just it's it's encouraging, it's it's gratitude, it's um, we're going to kick some ass going forward, kind of stuff. And then we make our way into the solar, and Menphilia and Elfina are there. Um, and Elfino has some words, and he leaves, and then it's just Menphilia and us in the room, and she wishes that... I think. Well, I think Elfino says this, that he, he wishes that his grandfather could be here to see it. Um, and and that's when when he leaves. And I, I don't remember... I don't remember the conversation with Menphilia, because it's not over. Oh, oh! Okay, so before we walk into the solar, I talked to Papa Limo. <laughs> He's like, as with everything, it begins with Menphilia and ends with Menphilia. And I thought that was really cute. Menphilia welcomes us back to the Waking Sands. She knows we're tired pretty much. And she just gives us a few words of, of good jobs and there's more to come. Uh, right. But... And then and then also in in classic Menphilia style, like great job, but... Um, now we have this thing that's roaring at us yep. in Silver Tear Lake. So just keep on the lookout for my summons in the very near future. And then she gives us the Magitek armor key. So Maggie's back. <gasps> She's ours. Not going to get Sid blasted again. No. Keeps it away never, from her. Never, ever, ever. <laughs> We're only going to use her to fly around. We also get our one free Fantasia in case we have other ideas about our character's We're identity. We're the warrior of light now, bitch. I'm gonna get a haircut. Or you don't something. have to drink a Fantasia for a haircut. I know, I know. Um, I wanted to. <laughs> I did drink that Fantasia and my my um, for my main character because I wanted to change my skin tone, and I was. That's all I did. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you're happy, then you're happy. Great, good. I Fantasia'd on my main character from a an Aura to a Lalafell. No regrets. No regrets. I, I you struggled like hardcore with that. it was a huge change like it was yeah. this unknown territory of like a brand new identity i had to throw all my glamours and start afresh because nothing applied to the new incarnation yeah. nope totally worked out 
Um, really yeah, no, it was, it was super weird. I also like it felt disorienting running around because I always went from like seven feet tall mm-hmm. to two feet tall or yeah. whatever. Yeah, I, I might depending on um on how things look after the graphical update. I'm not opposed to doing a remix for shoe. I do a name change too if I were to change races because this is the the French tie in from the Ellisons here. Right. Um. So we'll see if if I get some. Hmm. That looks pretty cool now. Um. After they do that huge update with Don uh, Trail. Don Trail. Mm-hmm. I might I might pop it, might not, TBD. Anyway, we made it. A Realm Reborn is over. Talked about a lot. Uh, any closing thoughts on the A Realm Reborn finale, Jen? Oh, I, I, I don't know. I don't really have any further, like, you know, deep musings here. We finally can fly. Yeah. Amazing. I, I like, I was so excited that I could fly again that I, I went to Mordona and I flew from the Etherite to like a cart 20 <laughs> yards away i'm like i'm gonna fly here just because damn it i am um, looking forward to flying for the upcoming tribe quests God, game changer um but other than that i i i i thought the uh the la habrea fight was so good and you know obviously since the change we haven't done it because we have i haven't i haven't bothered to do well, new, game, you, new game plus yeah this, it's a lot of know? work to get that far yeah <laughs> Um, so I thought it was fantastic and I wish there was a, 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 a tad more formality in the, uh, the debrief after the whole thing. Really? I, that's, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. It's a party, Jen. Just I guess. chill the fuck out yeah, for a bit. Yeah, get a drink. Goddamn. Exactly. All right. Well, that's, that's, that's it. The finale is really good. Especially this remix they've done of it does it justice finally because really it really does the twenty second La Habrea fight was a fucking shame. <sighs> See, and that's mm, it doesn't do the character justice. Yeah, same with Rattan. Yep. Like there's so much there, and it's just like this throwaway little like perfunctory thing that you do. Nah, this is way better. Mm-hmm. Okay, so one last thing this episode. Now that we have defeated the Ultima weapon, we have now unlocked our very first extreme trial. I like Extreme Trials a lot as a difficulty mode because they have a lot more meat to them than a dungeon does. And I feel in some cases they're even like the true expression of a trial. Yes. Yeah, because then it's not just an extension of the story, which has to be way more accessible. This this is like a, yeah, it's a legit challenge. And some of them will actually bring in like whole new mechanics and like aspects to the fight that are never brought in during the normal trial difficulty. At the same time, though, they are not so challenging. Not like savage stuff. Well, obviously, there's a huge spectrum of people who play this game and no shame if you don't want to ever set foot into an extreme. You don't have to. You don't have to. And I love the way this game approaches difficulty because it does not lock story content behind hard content. Yes. You're not denied any special story about the Ultima weapon if you don't do this trial. It's just a difficulty mode. Right. And the way you unlock them is you talk to this fucking bard, you tell him your story and he makes a song about it and like he he amps it up for the people. Yeah. What we're like doing- you're playing his imagined version. Exactly. Yeah. The bard is widely regarded as being- Yoshi P's incarnation in the game. Goggles and his hair yeah. and his, yeah, yeah, totally. So you go talk to him, you say, hey, he, here's this thing I did. And he's like, oh, it went this way, actually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. and that's it. That's the whole unlock. No other story besides that little bard poem. So thank you to the listeners who joined us here. If you want to join future content 
One, very sorry, you must be on a North American data center. It sucks that we can't do cross-region travel, but them's the breaks. Um, but anyways, uh, you can hop on the Discord and join up for future content. That link will be in the show notes. And also just hop on in general and, and come hang out because got some great people there. Yeah. Anyway, thank you to the listeners who joined us. Sorry if we don't get your names correct. <laughs> let's let's go by um, roles they played. How about that? Well, let's let's start with the tank. So tanks were Raven Ghostpaw on Gunbreaker and Sigaline Berenger. Thank you. <laughs> um, that's probably putting way too much flavor on it, but on Paladin, and then I had one of the healers covered on Scholar. We also had Violet Erveld as a white mage, and then the, the DPS. Our dragoon was Keys Novus, and then on Reaper we had. Tipon Tau, Jessel. Okay, next time we do this, we're going to do roll call, and everybody's going to say their name they want it to be said. Fortunately, one person, though, gave us their phonetics, which was Awanir Zorinthar. And then we had, of course, Jin Otis Old Thing as the bard. The bard. Awanir um, was a summoner. Yay! Repping the summoners. Word up. Word up. It was, it was really great. Excellent teamwork. I was afraid of this happening, and it happened... The min eye level of this duty is like 61, and the max synced eye level is like 130. <laughs> so we got in there, and most we people went him. in blind, and we brute forced <laughs> the entire fight until like the last mechanic without any issue. And it's yep. like, oh, uncue, min eye level, requeue. <laughs> and then we got to see this stuff. Yep. Yeah, really well done, everybody. Um, yeah, some of those mechanics are really tough, and, and people going in blind, like, respect, we figured it out, and, uh, Sigaline, uh, this was, like, first, this was, this was a lot of people's first, um, extreme. Yep. Just period. Um, but Sigaline, like, started playing, what, like, a month ago? Yes. <laughs> oh, so they just barreled through. Like, yeah, impressive. Extremes have a fuck ton of mechanics, not going to talk about all of them, mainly highlighting how they're different from the normal version. Usually this is like a remixed and enhanced version of the normal trial. So we still get the same shit like the green ground beams that explode, tank purge, raid wide, etc, etc. They rarely, if ever, actually remove mechanics, they just kind of expand upon them for the extreme version. So the first thing though that's new, um, brand new also to the game, if people are playing through in a linear fashion, like us, are the tank swaps. The weapon will drop a stacking debuff called negative atheroplasm on the current main tank, the person with the most aggro. And if you get to five stacks of this debuff, then you die. So the tanks have to watch each other's debuffs and then trade aggro back and forth to make sure that one tank doesn't have too many stacks of the debuff. After you have a break for a minute or so, the debuff falls off, and then you can pull the aggro back to yourself and renew. That happens all throughout the fight. Tanks pops are the extra fun level of stuff on top of the fight mechanics for tanks. 
beyond that, in general, this boss's attacks are spicy as shit. Just, yeah. Just like the, the persistent auto attacks, especially as someone who does not play healer very often. If I turn my attention away from the tank's health bars for like half a second to dodge something on the ground or to heal or res someone else, then the tank's health plummeted to shit. Well, there's a the mechanic, the mechanic in the fight that's the same as the normal one, um, where those proximity it's the airships. So the proximity AOEs will will um, mark themselves on the ground, and you gotta like run away. And what those so it's those two airships that come plummeting down into the arena and exploding. We I don't know what it was that we just like die at that moment or i think we died at like just the wrong moment or just the right moment something yeah so when we were we're back at the beginning of the fight and the the two airships are teetering still on the arena so like the graphics glitched out and so the airships were just chilling and they were there the whole time we just like ran around them well for one pull once right. we wiped again yeah then they... you know because they're huge it's it fucks up your visibility so when the ifrit um mechanic when he like dashes across the arena we couldn't see where he was and therefore couldn't avoid him and blah so yeah we wiped there but it was still like hilarious that those airships were just chilling this fight is kind of like phases one and phases two of the normal fight combined there is a primal mechanic like a, a combined primal phase you get I think it's Titan and Garuda, then Titan and Ifrit um, in two separate phases. When the first phase is out, it's a lot of the same shit as before, except Garuda does two big, really devastating things that you have to watch out for. Uh, the first one is that she will do like this knockback and then this maybe third room cleave across the entire arena that you've got to run to. And if you get knocked back into the middle of the um, the cleave, there's no time to escape. You're going to get got for most of your health bar. That's a good opportunity for the knockback. And if you use it here, knockback you will... Knockback mitigation. Uh, thank you. Uh, knockback mitigation. Um, so by the time you'll need it again, at the third etheric boom, um, you'll have it up. But definitely use it here because, yeah, um, the Garuda's Cleave is so huge. Um, if you don't position yourself correctly, you'll just get knocked into it. The other big Garuda mechanic is that she will surround the arena um, on the outside with this kind of bluish wind telegraph. And right after that resolves, Titan will do a butt stomp in the middle of the arena and fart on everyone in the center. So you have to book it out of the center as soon as the outside gets safe before Titan stomps you. Ifrit does his line dashes across the arena, which will hit a good portion of the arena. Mm-hmm. And that's on top of these like round puddles he drops as well. So things get pretty dodgy in there. And then when do the one of the bits come out? Is it after that? Yep. After yep. we've excised all of the primals, then it's like magic time. Yes. And it's it's ultima time. It's phase two essentially remixed. Yeah. So same thing. Magitic bits will will appear, and they're going to these are targetable. You can you can um, shoot them down, and you should uh, because they're going to make a whole mess of the arena. It's going to restrict movement like crazy, and it's going to be a mechanic on top of mechanic on top of mechanic. Unlike the normal mode, they will not leave unless you kill them. Yeah, they'll they'll be doing shit until the end of time. And I will tell you as. After having run healer, it is fucking hard to get heals off on your tanks who are on death store constantly while you're dodging those blue laser beams. Unreal. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I mean, uh, this this was the Unreal fight. This is it. On minimum eye level, yes. It was the same thing as Unreal, except that we were level 50, not 90. Right. Otherwise, yeah, pretty much almost a, um exact copy of the Unreal version. Yep. 
So that happens, and then there are the etheric booms. We got this in the normal version, except there are three rounds of booms where there are those dark energy balls that will be tethered and they will pull towards the arena's center. If they collide, you will wipe. Unlike normal, you have to stack up because if you are a solo DPS or healer, and if you detonate one of those balls by yourself, you're going to die. Yeah. So you've got to stack up the party and use shields, use mitt, whatever you can to make sure you can survive those detonations. And the last one, this is like the final mechanic. If you beat this, you should be good for the fight. The weapon will create four pairs of tethered booms in the center of the arena. And there's maybe five to ten seconds from when they appear to when they collide and detonate. Those tethers are super short. So you've got to watch for that cast bar where he makes the boom. Preferably use your knockback mitigation so you're not knocked away from the arena center when they're created. And then you have to detonate those balls ASAP. And it has to be partner stacks if you're doing it legit style. Uh, because, again, one one will kill a person. My preferred resolution for this is using a tank limit break 2 or 3 to um, add a lot of cushion to this. Uh, that didn't work out for us in our run. We ended up just doing it plain style. Um, but we made it, and then after that point in time, we got the clear. Woo. That is the extreme. I recommend trying it. You can probably find a party um, in Party Finder to do it synced. I recommend the min eye level version because as we found out, the normal synced version is way too easy. Thank you again, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this extra long episode. Next time, we are doing the Amalja tribe quests. See you then. And that will do it for today's episode. Wow. It yeah, that was that was a doozy. It was heavy in like all all respects. Closing out that that entire chapter, it didn't seem like we would ever get there, but like bam, there it is. Uh, thank you all so much for listening. Like we mentioned, there's a Discord. If you uh, check the show notes, you can hop in and and, and chat with folks. And uh, if you don't want to do that, totally okay. We also have an email at uh, podreturnffxiv at gmail.com. And uh, with that, we hope you enjoyed the episode. Have a good day or a night. And we will see you next time. <laughs>